You are listening to a podcast from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries. For more information about our church, please visit us at rmcmchurch.org. You can go ahead and turn over to uh, Philippians chapter 3. We'll get there in a few minutes. You know, most of you know that uh, we're in the midst of a series. See what this did. I always have to look these days. Uh, we're in the midst of a series on called Staying on Course. There it is. And basically what we've been talking about, we started out uh, with Paul's warning to Timothy that if he didn't hold on through his life, he didn't hold on to faith, Two things he mentioned, faith and a clean conscience, meaning I need to keep building my faith toward God, number one. I need to guard that through my life. And secondly, I need to watch over my heart so that I don't get involved in in corrupt motivations. My conscience doesn't get seared. I don't ignore what the Holy Spirit is saying in me or, or my conscience might be saying in me. And he said, if you don't hold on to those things, if you're not intentional about that, your faith can become, he used the word shipwrecked, okay? And he he mentioned a couple other people that he knew that like like these two, that their faith had become shipwrecked. And again, that, that word shipwrecked means that that our faith, our trust in God, our walk with the Lord runs aground on something either that comes up on the inside of us or that comes from the outside, but we just crash into it, get hung up and, and never get free, never move off of that and eventually uh, are destroyed. We lose our faith in God through that. And it's a very, it's a reality that people can go that way. And, you know, I've I've experienced, I love watching people grow in the Lord and, and that's where our focus is. But I mean, I've been doing this long enough that I've watched some people just literally crash and, and eventually turn away from the Lord, which is astonishing to me. It's always astonishing to me because I walked with those people for years, you know, and they were doing great, you know, but then something came, something happened in their life. So, so, uh, Paul gave this warning to Timothy, and we looked at we looked at that, and then this is our uh, what about our fourth week, I guess, in this series. I want you to I want you to really focus in on this. Last week, those of you who were here last week, we talked about this word perseverance because the Scripture tells us that we need doesn't just say it's a nice thing; it says we need perseverance in order to run the full course, it's the terms, you know, the biblical term, run the full course of our race, live our whole life out in faith toward God. It said we need perseverance. We looked at two passages. I'll just read them to you real quickly. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 36 says, for you have need. This isn't an option. You have need of steadfast patience and endurance so that you may perform and fully accomplish the will of God and thus receive and carry away and enjoy to the full what is promised. And then in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, it said, let us run with patience, right? Run with patient endurance and steady active persistence the appointed course of the race that is set before us. 
So both of those phrases that we find in in those passages come from the same Hebrew, or I'm sorry, the same Greek word. And we looked at it last week. I'm just going to uh, read this even a more full definition actually than what I gave you last week of this Greek word, hupomene, which is translated patience or endurance or perseverance. It really means the most, the clearest understanding of it, it comes with our English word perseverance. It's not just enduring. It's not just sitting back and getting through something. It is pushing through. It is pushing forward. Okay, and I, I'm going to give you that definition again, but as we do that, remember what we said last week, that the early church discovered after they gave their lives to Jesus and they started experiencing all this persecution, horrible things beyond anything that we consider or experience, they found this quality, this this trait rising up on the inside of them, this perseverance, this ability to not just endure, but do it while praising God, to endure terrible persecution and pressure from the outside. And they, they coined this term, hupomene, and they named this quality hupomene. It's really not even found in the Old Testament. It is something, it is a grace. It is something that is, it's a gift. It is an ability that God gives us. And so the good news, as we say, we need perseverance and we need to run our race with perseverance. As we look at those things, here's the good news. God has given it to us. It is a free gift. It is one of his grace gifts, something that is an ability that is a divine ability working in us that enables us to do stuff we could never do in our own strength or emotions or, or person. And, and so we have this. You may never have experienced this, but I'm telling you, it's, it's in there, okay? It's in there. And, it, and if we just, like every other gift God gives, everything that he gives by grace, we access or we operate in by faith. So we have to put that trust out there. When, that when, when, this, when something comes up in my life, this grace is going to rise up in me and I'm going to be able to endure, to persevere, to push through. All right. So here's what this, here's what this word means. I'm just going to give you this. It comes from Trench's <clears throat> synonyms in the New Testament and, and it's just their uh, definition of this word, uh, separating it from other words that we translate as patience. This word always speaks of the grace, the free gift of divine ability to do what we could not do, the grace to endure under pressure, opposition, or affliction. So there's an endurance to it. Endure under pressure, opposition, or affliction. All right, Trenches says, Trench, actually, his, it's Trench's synonyms. His name is Trench. Uh, says, in this noble word, I love that, there is always found a background of courage. It means to endure courageously as opposed to fleeing in fear. Okay? It's the, the opposite of this word would be fleeing in fear. It is not merely endurance or passive patience, but perseverance. It is the brave patience with which the Christian, listen to this, this is going to be important today, contends against, contends against the various hindrances, persecutions, and temptations that befall him in the conflict with the inward and outward world. 
Okay, we all have an inward world, right? And there's the outward world. This quality of perseverance contends against the things that would come against us. Okay, the hindrances to our faith, the hindrances to walking strong with God. It contends against. It's not sitting on its tail on the sidelines. It is not the kind of patience we usually think of where it's like, okay, I'll just be patient. You know, I'll try and go through this. That's one thing. That's not what this is. This rises up in us and contends against. So this is not describing a passive theology or a passive Christianity that sits back and said, well, you know, if God wants it to happen, it'll just happen. That's a very popular idea in Christianity that is not upheld by the Bible. And I know some of you, I, I say that, I know every time I say that, you know, it, it really pushes against some people because we've been raised, a lot of us are raised with that idea that godliness means just being able to go through whatever, nothing, you know, boy, you, you wouldn't want to resist anything. You, well, there are all kinds of things that come up in us. There are all kinds of attitudes or thoughts or emotions. Uh, we, we know that God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, right? And so when fear tries to come into our life, it's there to try and rob us of faith. When anger comes up on the inside of us, says, you know, man's anger doesn't bring about the righteous life that God wants, right? We need to resist those things. There are many things in our inward life that are not godly. They're not of God. They're not what he wants for us. And if we allow them to grow and develop, you know, I talk so often about unforgiveness, offense, holding grudges against people, it will destroy you. It will become, the way the Bible teaches it, it will become like a cancer on the inside of you and spread throughout your being. Same thing with fear. It will not stay in one place. You can't have fear living in one room in your house. You can't make an apartment for it and rent that out to fear, but it's just that one room. The rest, not fear, you don't get to come into any of the rest. It won't do it. It will invade every room in your house. You can't toy with a lot of these. So that's inward life, right? This quality, this grace will rise up and contend against things that come from our inward life. There are all kinds of things in our outward life. There, there are persecutions. There are conflicts. There are uh, ideas that are completely contrary to where, what, to God, to God and His Word and His thoughts and His ideas. We're surrounded by them in our culture. These people were surrounded by them just as much, as, if not more, than we are in our culture. But we do have an awful lot of messages coming at us every day. We probably do have more messages than any generation that's ever lived. And so we need to be able to sort that out. Well, this is one of the qualities that will rise up and not just get you through an issue, but actually contend against it. All right? Um, so let's just leave it there. That's, that's enough. I think you get the idea. So a couple of weeks ago, we looked at Philippians chapter 3. Did you find that yet? All right, we're going to go back and just, we need to launch for the rest of this series. I want to just talk to us about five things that all of us experience 
that if we don't handle them and deal with them, have the ability to shipwreck our faith. If they're just let run wild in our life, they will shipwreck our faith, all right? But I want to launch from here because of some of the things we read a couple of weeks ago that Paul said here. Now, he started out, we're going to start here on verse 12 reading, but uh, the previous verses, if you'll remember, Paul talked about his former life before he came to Christ. He talked about his education. He talked about all these things that he said would be a prophet to him, his... his um, his position in society, the education that he had, the people he was hanging out with. He was rising very quickly as a young man in his society to a very high position. And he said, you know, all those things were valuable. They had a profit to them. They would have been profitable to me. But I have come to realize, and the terminology he used was, in comparison to knowing Christ, all those things, he calls them a loss. The word means something of value that compared to something else, we would just throw overboard. If this thing over here, even though it has value, is going to hinder the most important thing in my life, I will throw it overboard, all right? I will get rid of it. It's something, in fact, in one place he called it, he called those things, I've come to view them as dung, okay? So he's, this is a comparative statement between that and knowing Christ, the things that would have lifted him up in society compared to knowing Christ. And he says, this is the view that I have taken. And then beginning in verse 12, he says, not that I have already obtained all of this or have already been made perfect. So he says, I'm not there yet, right? I'm not there yet, but here's what I do. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. A couple of weeks ago, and, and if you want to, you can go on our website, you can pick up all these teachings. We dug into this deeply and we looked at these various words, like press on, what does press on mean? To, to press forward into Christ. And we looked at all of these. And, and let me just give you the phrase, those verses could be translated, I am pursuing with all my strength in order to capture, apprehend, and take hold of and make my own everything for which Christ took hold of me. Christ took hold of me for a reason. He took hold of me for salvation. He took hold of me for the purpose that he has for my life. He took hold of me for a strong relationship with God and, that, and to have a part in his kingdom in the earth today. He took hold of every one of us for a reason. And Paul's saying, I will go with all my might. I will, I will run as hard as I can after what Christ, the reason that Christ took hold of me, and I will apprehend it. I will take it captive. I will pull it in and I will make it my possession. None of that, I think you would agree, is passive language. That is not sitting on the sidelines and hoping God drops something in your lap. He's saying, you know what? Christ took hold of me for a reason. I'm going to put all my, all my energy into pursuing after and taking hold of that. Not passive language at all. But I want to say about this today, those verses, they don't, they don't describe Paul's singular activity in life. Okay? They do describe Paul's singular motivation in everything he does. They don't describe when he says, I'm going to pursue as hard as I can to take hold of everything Jesus. It doesn't mean Paul sat by the river and read his scrolls and prayed 
and never did anything in life. And the reason I'm saying this is because sometimes people exempt themselves from this and say, oh, you know, those kind of verses, those are for preachers, you know, because all you do is sit around and read your Bible all day. Well, number one, that's not true, okay? But that's not what Paul did either. Paul had a job for a lot of his ministry. There were places they went for years at a time where he was a tent maker. He had a job. He worked with his hands. He raised up churches. He raised up leaders. Their travel in those days was very difficult. The guy was busy, let alone spending all the time in prison and beatings and shipwrecks and all the other stuff he went through. I want you to understand, this isn't, he's not saying, this is, this is all I do every day. He's saying, this is my motivation in everything I do every day. Does that make sense to you? So whatever's going on in your life and whatever your job is or the family you're raising or your marriage or your whatever the point is and whatever we're doing and whatever we're involved in, the motivation is I am pressing into the Lord and going to take hold of everything he has for me. That's the motivation that's underneath. Does that make sense to you? Okay. So he goes on then uh, down in verse 13. He says, Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do. And this is where we're going to launch from. One thing I do. And then he mentions two things. He says, forgetting what is behind and straining forward to what is ahead. And we talked about this a couple weeks ago, but he puts those two ideas together, essentially saying we can't strain forward toward the Lord and keep remembering everything in our past, especially the negative things. But Paul also mentioned earlier in this chapter, he mentioned positive things. He mentioned things he can't let any of those um, direct your future. He says, forgetting what is behind, straining forward to what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ. So he says, here's what I do. Here's how I do this. I'm forgetting what is behind. I'm forgetting my past. That is the truth. It's a truth we want to grab, but it's also an easy statement to make and a hard one to live. It makes for great preaching. I love preaching from these verses, but it's hard to live. We all have a past. Paul had a past. We all have a past. There are good things in our past. There are bad things in our past. And listen, he's saying, here's what I do, guys. I'm forgetting what is behind. Well, he just listed a bunch of his past. So it obviously doesn't mean I can no longer remember. Now, I'm finding more and more of this happening in my life. But Paul wasn't saying, I can no longer remember what happened in the past. What he is saying is I am disarming my past. I will not allow my past to hold the, the place of directing my future. I am forgetting. I am, I am disarming. I am dethroning. I'm not denying the existence of my past. And, and we've said before, Paul carried things. He used his knowledge of the scriptures. He used his Roman citizenship. He used a lot of things from his past. I'm sure just like all of us, there are experiences I've had in the past that now I can look back on. I didn't enjoy them at the time, but now I can see God prepared me for something through that, or I learned a good lesson through that and I never did it again. 
you know, or I did it several times, but I finally learned a good lesson from that, and now I'm not doing it anymore. You know, there we we carry some things from our past, but we're we're not allowing. If we're going to push forward, and we're going to persevere, and we're going to live this active life, and we're going to contend against hindrances from the inside and the outside, we can't always be going back to, especially to our to our failures to the heart. We can't let those things um, control our vision for the future, okay? We've got to have what Jesus has for us in front of us, and our past is our past. That makes sense to you, okay? So he is setting a, a boundary for his life. We said this a couple weeks ago. He's only, he's not, he's saying what he will allow his past to be and what he will not allow his past to be. One of the things is every day we have more past and less future, actually. We have, I mean, not eternally speaking, but on this earth, we have more past every day. We have more good things and more mistakes. And so this has got to be something, this, this attitude has got to be something we carry with us. You know what? Okay, this is in the past. I may need to deal with it. I may, there are a lot of times something, there's something in my past might be 10 minutes ago. Something in my past, I need to go to the Lord. I need to repent of this. I need to ask forgiveness for saying that or doing that. I need to repent of it, or I need to just look at it, compare it to the scripture, and say, you know what? That's, that's not the way uh, that, that I need to be thinking. Lord, renew my mind. Help me to think like you think about that. I mean, it could be any number of things. I need to deal with it, but I don't let it tell me I am your future. Okay, is this making sense? Okay, so here are the things we're going to look at over the next couple of weeks. We're just going to look at one today. Uh, these are just this list. I, I've talked to you about it many times. I don't think I've ever uh, stopped and taught about it. But these are just some things. There are I mean, we could probably list, you know, dozens. But these are, these are areas where we have seen and, and known of people who got caught up in one of these areas hung up on the rocks in one of these areas and ended up shipwrecked in their faith. And so the first one, so they are disappointment, betrayal. See, these are things all of us experience, all of us. Disappointment, betrayal, regret, loss, and offense, all right? Any one of those can entangle you and hold you back. And, and we'll talk about the voices that these elements have, what they try to say to you, what they try to tell you, the messages they try to send to you to, to tangle you up and to hold you back from pressing forward in what God has for you. Because I'm telling you, God has a tremendous purpose and plan for every single one of your lives. God has you alive today in this time, in this place for a reason. Those things, I, don't, I just believe that, you know, he selected us for this generation. So there's, and he has equipped us to minister to this generation. He has us here for a reason. It's true of every one of us, okay? So we need to learn to recognize these things and, and disarm them when they come in. So let's talk about disappointment. We just have a few minutes left. Disappointment is something that all of us, how many of you here would you say you've ever been disappointed? Four of you, that's awesome. For the, for the rest, teach us. Please teach us, okay? Um, so disappointment 
is defined as sadness or frustration arising from a failure to have or enjoy something hoped for or expected. All right. Frustration or sadness arising from a failure to have or enjoy something we hoped for or something we expected. The, the Webster, I love the Webster's 1828 dictionary because it's taken from a much more biblical stance. And uh, <laughs> he actually defines disappointment as the defeat of expectation, hope, desire, or intent. The defeat, that's strong of expectation, hope, desire, or intent. So if you think about it, we experience, sometimes we're disappointed in ourselves. Sometimes we're disappointed in or by another person. Sometimes there are circumstances that happen to us that we get disappointed in. Uh, uh, You know, sometimes we get disappointed with God. That's probably uh, the worst place to go. And we'll talk about that a little bit. But disappointment is a part of everybody's life. I was, I was thinking about, okay, you know, what, what Bible story should I pick on this? And I started thinking about it. All of the main Bible characters have disappointment in their lives. Every single one. I, I think that God himself has disappointment. I, it's not that something took him by surprise like it does us. But I think at the point where, where it says that, you know, he looked at the earth, they're building the Tower of Babel, and, look, and I said, man, these people have one language. They can do anything they want. Or, or before uh, Noah's uh, time when he was going to bring the flood, there's a passage there that says that God's heart was filled with pain when he looked at what was going on in mankind's heart. It wasn't what, uh, you know, it wasn't what he designed us for. I think there were times uh, when Jesus came down off the mountain with Peter, James, and John, and they just had, it was the Mount of Transfiguration. They'd had this great time. They came down. There was a guy there who brought his son to the disciples to get him free from a demon spirit, and, the, and they couldn't do it. And, and speaking, I think there he's speaking to his disciples and to the whole group. You know, he said, how long must I be with this generation, you know? I think Jesus experienced frustration. And certainly uh, we see times where the disciples were disappointed with Jesus. The whole culture was disappointed with Jesus because he didn't come to throw Rome off. He came to save us from our sin. And there was disappointment in the group. There was disappointment when Jesus went to the cross before they understood what was going on. There was disappointment. We see it all through uh, the scripture. So, so it is something that everybody in life experiences. And a lot of our disappointments are just small. You know, we go in, um, we get, you know, we, we just get to love the little restaurant out at Sargent's and man, they have the best burgers on this side of the continental divide. And we just start to love it and they get new owners and they quit doing burgers. It's like, man, I was disappointed when that happened. All right. But am I going to let that shipwreck my faith? No, probably, probably not. There are other burgers around. Uh, Burgers are important, but um, you know, I mean, there's all kinds of little disappointments in life. Oh, I thought this was going to be like this and it's not. But there are bigger disappointments in life. There are, especially when it starts entering into relationships. And here's the thing. I think the amount of time we have invested hoping in something, number one, 
and the amount of our future that we see wrapped up in that, uh, the, amount, the amount of our future that we see this person is going to have a role in my whole life, you know, well, when that changes, that's a big disappointment because we have a lot, we've got to rethink everything we thought was going on. You know, we experience this in ministry, people experience this in families, people experience this with children, with spouses. You know, there are some disappointments that can really take, take hold of your heart and many of us have experienced those too. But so, so you can think, I mean, you know, somebody says they're going to do something, they, they don't do it or, um, you know, a business opportunity that you think is going to be the answer to some things you've hoped for and then that fails. I mean, there are all kinds of places where we're expecting a certain outcome. Sometimes we've prayed we're expecting a certain outcome on a certain timetable. And it doesn't happen on that timetable. And we experience disappointment. And, and we just read those definitions. What it does is try to destroy our ability to hope or to expect again. That's where it will go if we let it go. And we know the scripture tells us that faith is the substance of things that we hope for. We know that um, hope is incredibly important. In fact, you can turn there if you like. I don't have this on your screen. Proverbs chapter 13 Verse 12, either, either that or write it down. This is such an important verse. Proverbs 13, 12, it says, hope deferred makes the heart sick, right? But when a desire is fulfilled, it's a tree of life. So we see this contrast there. When hope is deferred, that term hope in the Hebrew, I, I'd never seen this before. It, in the Hebrew, we know that in the Greek, it means confident expectation of good coming from God. That's what hope is. Remember, hope in the Bible is never just kind of wishing, like we use the term in English, you know. Oh, I hope this will happen, but we don't really think it's going to. That's, that's how we use it in English. In the Bible, it means a confident expectation, a vision. A, you know, it, it's directing our life because we are so confident that this thing's going to come to pass. In the Hebrew... Hope was seen as the spring from which the desire for life flows. The spring from which the desire for life flows. In other words, if you don't have any hope, you're going to end up with no desire for life. Some of you have been there. Some of you have felt that or you've been on the edge of it. Some of you have been right in the middle of it for some time. When, a, when something you had hoped in was taken away, Sometimes we don't want to live anymore. I mean, it's that important. And to get back to a point where not only do we want to live, we have a motivation to live, we have a motivation to press forward, and we're, not, and we're forgetting, we're dethroning that disappointment in our life so that we can move forward. That can be a big process. In every one of these areas, there is a grief process that needs to happen. And it's true with disappointment. Not over burgers, okay? But you know what I'm saying. When there's a big disappointment comes into your life, there's a little bit of a grief process with the burgers. But <laughs> it, not as big as some of the things, you know, that we experience in life. When, when somebody we've really put a lot of investment in is either taken from us or leaves us. And you can see how these hook together. Many times disappointment comes from loss. Okay, or disappointment is connected to betrayal. These, you know, we're going to tear them apart for, for uh, study purposes. But these things flow together in life. All right. But disappointment, hope deferred, 
Hope is that spring from which a desire for life flows. And, and being deferred means long delayed or eroded over time. Okay, so hope can just be eroded over time. Or there's this big lag time. We've been hoping for this. We've had our faith out for this for a long time and it hasn't happened. We thought it would have happened by now. We can become disappointed. Okay, hope deferred makes the heart sick. That word sick is a process. By, it's that type of sickness. It's a process by which something is weakened to the point of failure. And when it's used of sickness, it means a wasting type disease. Okay, so again, there's a time element to it. And that's what it's saying is when, when our hope is deferred, it makes the heart sick. We get disappointed. It's, it's a type of sickness of heart that we need to allow the Lord uh, to lift us out of. So, Let's look at this. So the voices of disappointment, okay? One of, the, one of the messages that disappointment sends is discouragement. It just, we just feel discouraged. We just, um, you know, we start to think things like, you know, this will never work, okay? I can't make this work. Uh, it'll never work. I'll never get ahead, all right? I'm just, I'm destined to fail. I'm destined to be alone. I'm, I'm, I, I just, I can't make it. You're discouraged, right? Discouragement really is a loss of courage, a loss of uh, wanting to go forward. And discouragement wants to author your future. If you will remember when the spies came back, right? In Moses' day, when they were going to go into the promised land, there were 12 spies went out. 10 came back with a negative report. Two said, we can do this. And, but the negative report from those 10, it says discouraged the hearts of all Israel. From those 10 people, millions of people were discouraged and they didn't get to go in. They couldn't go in. They couldn't overcome giants that pretty much didn't exist. That when they did run into them 400 years later, a kid killed them with a rock. You know, I mean, it, it, was, it, was, it was this big picture that came from somebody's disappointment and discouragement and fear about a situation, it'll stop us. It'll, it'll hold us back. Another voice of disappointment is hopelessness. You know, things will never change. It's a loss of vision, a loss of any motivation to move forward. Disappointment always attacks our trust. It all, what it wants to say to you is, you know what? You've been disappointed over and over. You can only count on yourself. You need to just rely on yourself. You can't count on anybody else. They're just going to disappoint you. You know what? We are called. If you go down that road, you will end up isolated. You will eliminate the power that God says exists in agreement with other people. You will, you will isolate yourself. You will, you will end up trusting in yourself because that trust there again. You lose trust. I, I can't ever trust in people again because I've been hurt. Well, Welcome to the human race. We are going to hurt each other from time to time. We are going to disappoint each other from time to time. One of the first things we need to ask when we are disappointed, I think one of the first things we need to ask the Lord is, was my expectation in that situation, was my expectation in that person, was that appropriate or was that an inappropriate expectation? Because a lot of times I've had personally, <laughs> the Lord has led me through this a lot of times. I come to him with a disappointment. He says, you need to adjust your expectation. 
And he gives me, and I say, I like to say, Lord, show me, if this is with a person, show me, Lord, how you view the situation, this person. And many times he says, you know, at, at this stage in that person's life, they're not capable of meeting that expectation. Or sometimes he says, I never even called them to meet that expectation in you. A lot of times we set expectations in people. We see this in married couples a lot. They have an expectation for that person to be something to them that really only God is supposed to be. That can be a big problem in relationships. A lot of the time we don't know we have an expectation until somebody doesn't meet it. We try to go through this with couples in premarital counseling because, and we, we can't, we just tell them, you're not going to know your expectations until you get married and start going down the road of life. Then you're going to discover some things that your family did this way and their family did that way. You can sort some of that out ahead of time. We had a couple just recently. It was so fun. Uh, we came in and we sat down and uh, one, of the, one of the weeks and, and, and I threw this question out to him because we wanted to talk about expectations. I said, how much money... I said, don't think about this. Just, you, just tell me, both of you. I want an instant answer. How much money is it okay for you to spend without talking to your partner? He said 100. No, he said 20. And she said, 100. And so it was like, yeah, we don't know who that was. Uh, so, so anyway, it was hilarious. And we all laughed about it. But it's like, those are the kind of things that can become big problems when our expectations aren't met. And a lot of times we don't even know we have them until we get into it. And so we have to learn that a lot of times our expectations aren't what they should be. And, and we got to let God correct that in us. That doesn't mean that nobody should ever, you know, we shouldn't have any standards. We shouldn't um, expect anything of anybody. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying sometimes our expectations are out of line. And so I think that's something we've got to let the Lord speak into. We've got to give each other room to grow, okay? Um, let me just dive into this because we've really only got a couple of minutes left. Go over to John chapter 11 with me, and we'll just look at one Bible example here uh, of this. John chapter 11, we're going to start in verse 20. This is a story of uh, Martha and Mary coming to Jesus after Lazarus died. And you remember, Lazarus and Martha and Mary were friends of Jesus. And Jesus was somewhere else when Lazarus got sick and he died. And both of those girls were disappointed with Jesus. And they expressed that, and he let them express that to him. It was interesting to me when he came, um, he came to the edge of town where they were staying after Lazarus had died, and he didn't go in. He obviously knew that both of them would be experiencing this disappointment, experiencing this disappointment with Jesus. And let me just say this, anytime we're disappointed with God, the God who gave his son for us, the God who, well, we just read a whole list of things during communion, the God who is always for us, the God who has given us all things, the God who is a God of abundance, laid down his life for us so we could have a relationship with him. When we're disappointed with him, guess who needs to change? Guess, guess who has a wrong perspective, okay, in that. So Jesus obviously knew they were disappointed with him, and he didn't rush in to make it right, but he did welcome them to come ask their questions. 
Okay, he didn't feel, I don't think he had any personal need to, you know, to try and get their affection back. He just wanted the best for them. So he didn't rush into town and say, oh, Mary and Martha, I'm so sorry that you're disappointed in me. But he stopped outside of town and they got up and came to him one at a time. So in verse 20, it says, um, here, let me switch out of the Amplified. Verse 20, it says, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. So there it is, Lord, if you'd have done the right thing, my brother wouldn't have died. She was disappointed. But, but she also expresses faith here. She says, but I know that even now, God will give you whatever, you're, whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. So he's instilling hope back into her. He's addressing hope. And Martha answered, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And so Jesus says, so notice, first he gives her a promise, your brother will rise again. And through that promise, he brings hope. Now we come down to verse 25 and he starts to tell her who he is. I think this is a pattern we can draw from. When we're disappointed, we need to go back to the promises of God and we need to go back and let the Holy Spirit remind us of who he is and what he has done. So in verse 25, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She says, yes, Lord. She told him, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of the living God who has come into the world. And after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. And when Mary, it's interesting, he was asking for her, but he didn't go find her. He let her come to him. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been uh, with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up, went out. They followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And, this, and the story goes on. Of course, ultimately, he does raise Lazarus from the dead. But those girls, you can tell, they both said the exact same words. They both, they had been rehearsing this, probably had been talking about it. I mean, how often do you suppose that conversation came up in the previous few days? Well, Lazarus, man, if Jesus was just here, if Jesus was just here, why isn't Jesus here? You know, and, and they both had this running on the inside of them that if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But what he did, and I just want to say it again, he made a promise and then he brought them to the place of, here's who I am. So, so it's important for us, whatever your disappointment has been, to remember who he is. He brings them back in that, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me won't die, and whoever dies believing in me will live again. All right, he brings them back to an eternal perspective. He lifts their eyes out of my brother died and puts their eyes back on eternity back on who Jesus is and what he has provided. And I think that pattern, the promises of God, the nature of God, soaking yourself in that and getting your eyes back on an eternal perspective is what we need to defeat disappointment. 
Now that doesn't mean that in an instant, and then he did take care of the situation, but he didn't take care of the situation until he had dealt with their disappointment. Okay, the situation didn't change until after the conversation. I think that if we stay in disappointment, the, the, the danger of that is that we will end up in disillusionment, which means an inability to hope again, an inability to expect. And that's where you can get shipwrecked. That's where you can stay there for your whole life. Again, depending on the size of the disappointment, what you had invent, uh, invented, invested in it, there, there many times needs to be a grieving process. Grief is something God gave us to get us from how life was to how life will be, and we need to let it work, okay? Because we all experience disappointment. We all experience loss. We experience these things. But we need to go to him. Those girls went out to him. They talked to him. They opened their hearts, and they said, I'm disappointed in you. If you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. This pain, Jesus, is your fault, okay? Again, when we're disappointed in God, we're making a mistake, but I love the fact that Jesus let them pour it out, and then he started to present himself again, present his promises, present the eternal perspective. Does that make sense to you? All right, why don't we stand up and pray together this morning? If you're in here today, I mean, again, all of us experience disappointment, so some of us will just carry this out, We'll put these things to work next time we're in a disappointment. But some of you uh, probably have disappointment working in your heart that's been there for a while. And so we want to pray over that this morning, that you be freed from that, that the Lord speak into your life what he needs to speak into your life to truly set you free from that. Can we agree on that this morning? So if that's you, just receive this prayer this morning. Father, we come before you and Lord, the Bible says you are the God of all hope. You are the one who restores hope. You are the one, Lord, who, who can bring us back to that place of, of restoration in your promises and restoration of knowing and living by who you are and who you have declared yourself to be. Lord, we can come back and we can remember all the times in our life you've showed, us, showed yourself faithful. We can know that whatever this situation is, as devastating as it might be, Lord, there is always hope in you. There is always, your word says, we have a hope and a future in you. Lord, we recognize that all of these things that happen on planet Earth, as painful as they might be, Lord, as painful as they might be, they are temporary. And there is an eternal life that we are living and will be living that goes beyond all, all of this is a shadow. And so, Lord, I'm praying this morning for anyone whose heart is caught in disappointment, for those who are snagged and snared in disappointment this morning. We come together as your family and we agree together, Lord, that that, that snare, that disappointment, that that hold be broken over their life in the name of Jesus and that your word begin to breathe and speak into their hearts again, Lord, that you present yourself to them, Lord, as the resurrection and the life, the one who there is always life beyond the disappointment with you. There is always a new dawn coming, no matter how dark it is today. And so, Lord, we speak that and we choose, Lord, to take hold of that truth, to take possession, to chase after it and take possession of the fact that there is always a new day dawning in you. You are both the Alpha and the Omega at the same time. At every ending, you have a beginning. 
And so, Lord, we take hold of those truths today. We pray for our brothers and sisters and anyone who is caught in that place. We pray for their freedom and deliverance in Jesus' name. And we thank you for it. Amen. Amen. Did you get anything out of that this morning? Thank you. Never mind. I won't make a joke. All right. So we're going to be dismissed on the count of three. If you want more prayer, if you need prayer, uh, please come up after and uh, let me pray for you individually. Uh, But we're going to be dismissed. Go out there and have some fellowship time. If you're either involved in Children's Church or even have an inkling that you might want to be, please come back in 15 minutes, which would be about 25 after uh, because I went long. And uh, and we'll see you then, okay? Um, <laughs> one, two, three. Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world. Amen. Go out and be the church. Thank you for listening to this message from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries in Gunnison, Colorado. We hope you will visit us at rmcmchurch.org, like our Facebook page, or subscribe to our messages on YouTube.